Good morning, everybody. Good morning if you're online with us this morning. Great to have you with us. Let me add to Scott's welcome, especially if you're new. It's great to have you this morning. My name is Brad. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we're so glad you're with us this morning on this beautiful summer's morning. How good is it? Um, it's fantastic. Uh, hopefully you've made yourself, uh, got your kids checked in into creche or, or kids this morning. Um, also, next week, everybody say next week. Next week is uh, SBC Yarram's second birthday. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, so um, I'm going to be, Alana and I and the, and the family are heading down there and we're going to be testing our tech abilities and we're going to be preaching from Yarram next Sunday and we're going to be celebrating uh, two years down there. And so if you want to join us, I mean, not everyone can come <laughs> because it's not big enough. Um, but if one or two of you want to come along, by all means, um, we'd love to, to have you down there and celebrate with, with Sophie and Gregor and everyone down there. Um, and we're going to have a bit of a, a lunch afterwards and, and a time together. So um, I, I, I hear there's a whisper that we might be doing a lunch here next week too. Is that, well, that's, we're not, yeah, yeah, we're not advertising that. We're just, there might be. Uh, <coughs> Birthday cake. We'll have birthday cake in Yarram, yeah, for sure. Not, oh, well, I don't know. You'll have to see what you organise here in sale while I'm gone. Um, you don't want me baking your cake, that's for sure. Anyway, um, enough of that. Uh, we are in our vision series, and this is week two. If you missed week one, that was last Sunday, uh, and we talked a bit about our vision for SBC, the kind of church that uh, God would... Uh, want us to become and, and hope us to be. Uh, and then towards the end of my message, I introduced this idea of um, focusing a little bit this year on being in his presence. Uh, we looked at Acts chapter 2 and, and the last few verses in Acts chapter 2 where it paints a picture of a, a pretty uh, a wonderful church uh, and commented that that's on the back of Acts chapter 1 and the first half of Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit's poured out in the lives of the believers and the lives of the church. Uh, and enabling them to be that kind of church. Without the presence of God, uh, we are nothing more than a, a club, a community group, um, or, or, or anything else. And they're, they're great things, don't get me wrong. Um, a church without the Holy Spirit is a great thing, but the best thing, the best thing that we could be is the church, marked by the presence of God amongst us. And so we're going to deep... Uh, dive a little bit deeper into this idea of being in his presence this morning. And I want to read to you from Psalm 27. So if you've got your Bibles or you want to check it on the screens behind me, Psalm 27 verses 4 to 6, it says this, I've asked one thing from the Lord. This is David uh, from the Old Testament, King David. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high and my enemies around me, above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your presence amongst us. God, we thank you that you are all present, ever present. And God, we pray that you would help us to, to be aware 
of your Holy Spirit amongst us this morning. Help us to be listening to your voice and obeying it quickly. God, we pray you give us the courage and the faith to live the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if um, when you were growing up, you ever had this sense that your parents just had eyes in the back of their head, like they could just see everything you did. Um, and, just, and now, as a parent, I sometimes think, I reckon they were just guessing sometimes, and they just were pretty good at guessing what mischief we were up to, because um, sometimes you can just say, I can tell my kids that uh, I reckon just by the way they're screaming at each other, Harry's done something, or just the way that Eden's doing whatever she's doing, she's, she's up to no good, and so you can just sort of get to know the quirks of your kids, and they just, how did you know that? How did you see that? Uh, you weren't even in the same room. It's like, well, I've got eyes everywhere. Um, and I think sometimes um, when we talk about being in the presence of God, that's sort of the view we can have of God is that he's just, he's just watching us. He's sort of like Santa in that he's just, he knows everything about you. Uh, and it can be a bit scary to think, oh, did he, like, is he in the bathroom with me? Like, that's weird. Like, does, does he give me any privacy? Does he, is he everywhere? And so when we talk about being in his presence, like, Brad, I'm just confused because aren't we just in his presence all the time? And we are. God is everywhere. And so this morning I want to just explain and, and, and maybe think a little bit deeper about this idea that God is omnipresent. We use this word omnipresent, which means all present. He is everywhere. He is outside of his creation and intrinsically in his creation. He is overall, he is in all, he is omnipresent, but there is um, a special presence or what some people and theologians would call a manifest presence. And so when we talk about being in his presence this morning, um, that's the idea that I want us to, to understand a little bit deeper, is being, understanding his manifest presence. Because we are always in his presence. We are always in his presence. In Genesis 1, we see this from the start. It says that earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God is, um, is his presence amongst his creation, over all. God was before creation, and God created, and this is, I mean, you might be smarter than, and your brain might be able to comprehend this better than me, but he created both space and time. And so he is, um, of course, he's over and in all his creation. He has been all over his creation at all times. There has never been a moment where he has not been all present. God created time and space, seeing life and time, sort of like if you were in a, in a blimp or a, or a helicopter or something and there was a parade going. You could see the beginning and the end at all times. And God is like this. He is all present. He sees all time, every moment of your life. The beginning, the end, all the in-between bits. He says it all at once. Well, my um, youngest daughter, Eden, now has started playing with a dollhouse and she's got all these little toys and figurines. And um, in one sense, she is like all present over that dollhouse. She can see all the parts that are going on in all the different rooms and 
I was like, she, she, and she's not very good at it, but I mean, she, but God is like way better at that, that he can see and be a part of every single one of our lives at the same time, in the same moment. His attention is not divided. In Jeremiah 23, verse 24, it says, Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. Or Psalm 139. You could read all of Psalm 139 to get this idea. It's probably the best, um, best picture of it. But just verses 7 and 8 says, Where can I go to escape your presence? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Ever present and all present. Verse 4 of Psalm 139 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. And this is a great challenge and a great comfort that God is all present. He knows you best. He knows who you were. He knows who you are. And he knows who you will be. He knows you infinitely better than you could ever know yourself. Not just, he, he, he doesn't just know you a little bit better. He knows you infinitely better than you could ever know yourself. And this has such massive implications for your life. Because your identity is not something that you decide for it to be. And the world will tell us this, that you can decide who you are, you can decide your own identity, the kind of person you want to be. And in some respects, you can, you can, you can decide to pretend to be that kind of, or you can know the creator, who he has created you to be, and understand that when you find your identity in him, life unlocks itself. Life makes sense. God is... God knows you so much better than you can know yourself. And God is present uh, to every point in time and God is present at every place. Every point in time, God is present and at every place, God is present in fullness and completeness. Some, uh, one commentator I read said, it's sort of like if you were to let some gas out of a gas bottle. The gas is everywhere in the room except the gas is... It's a, it's a bad analogy because the gas molecules, I'm not a scientist, but apparently, you know, if you can fit gas in a cylinder this big and then you put it all in the room, the, the molecules are stretched and spaced out. The gas is not actually filling the room like it was. And, but God is not like that. He's concentrated everywhere. Uh, if you want to read further, I, didn't, um, I don't have time to go into Isaiah 40, but just write that down in your notes because I know you're taking them. Uh, Isaiah 40, go and meditate on this chapter and understand this massive idea of God being everywhere. There is no part of your life that is not enveloped by the presence of the Creator God. In fact, if you are a believer in New Testament times, which we are living in, God's presence is not just around you, but it is inside of you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. A temple. Now, again, we don't have time to go into the depths of this idea either, but if you read the Old Testament, if you understand the Old Testament and the idea of the temple, that's where God's special presence, his manifest presence was in the Old Testament times. And now his manifest presence is available inside of you. 
in the life of every believer. He is not far. God is not distant. He is wherever you are and wherever you are not. In the highs and the lows of life. We can never lose God's presence in reality. But we can lose a sense of his presence in our life. We can lose an awareness of his manifest presence in our life. And that's why you see Psalms like Psalm 27, uh, where David, who is in God's presence, says, I want to dwell in, in your house forever. Like, I want, I've tasted a, a, a portion of your manifest presence, and that's where I want to be. And what an amazing, like, that's something amazing made for you or I to say, but for King David, who has the world at his fingertips, he has whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Like, ultimate power, he says, actually, the one thing that I want, the one thing that I want, says, is that I would dwell in his house, is that I would be in his presence. So we have God's presence all around us, but then if we are talking about being in his manifest presence, how can we be, how can we be aware of his presence? How can we experience his presence? And so what I want to talk about now is how we can position ourselves so that we might be more aware of his presence. This is not to say that we can make God turn up in our life or that we can make God's manifest presence known in our life. But it's sort of like, uh, this is probably the best analogy I can give you, it's sort of like if it's raining, the best chance you have of being wet is being outside. It can rain all likes and you could be in here. And I mean, we have a few leaks, but you're not going to get wet in here. You're not going to get soaked by the rain if you're inside. You can go outside. It's not going to make it rain, but it's gonna be, you're going to be in the best position if it does rain to get soaked. And so what I want to talk about now is how we can position ourselves, the things that Scripture tells us to do, so that we might be in a position where if God's manifest presence turns up, we might be able to experience it and be changed by it and be soaked by it. So we're not saying we can manipulate God or twist God's arm or make him do something because he is sovereign, but we can choose to put ourselves in a position that we have the best chance so manifest presence, and this, this idea of manifest, the, the definition um, is clear or obvious to the eye or mind. Hands up if you've ever experienced the manifest presence of God. You've had a moment. Don't be shy, nice and high, just so people can see, yeah, it does happen. And another preface is if, if you have not experienced the presence of God, it doesn't make you less of a Christian, it doesn't make you your faith... Uh, inferior or anything like that. Um, but I want to encourage you that God wants to make himself known. Um, and there'll be times in our Sunday services or in prayer meetings or wherever where someone's like, oh my goodness, the presence of God is here. And you'll feel like, where? Like, I've been in moments like that and I'm sure you have too. And God will pour his presence out on different people at different times in different ways. But what does it look like to stand outside? What does it look like to get in a position where we might be soaked? All right, the first one is this, integrity. Integrity. Psalm 51 
Psalm 51 is a psalm that David writes after um, doing a whole lot of terrible things. Adultery, murder, like he just like went through the Ten Commandments and just, just tried to break them all in one go. Um, and so he's in, a, he's in a bad space. And this is part of his psalm that he writes. He writes, God created a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence um, or take your Holy Spirit from me, which again, if we're talking about special presence or manifest presence and omnipresence, he's talking about manifest presence here because he can't be taken from his omnipresence. Restore to me the joy of salvation and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. A pure heart. That is a heart without mixture. A heart that is honest. Not a heart that wants God's presence for a moment on a Sunday morning, knowing that on Monday I'm just going to keep living for myself anyway. A heart of integrity where you can say, God, I want your presence and that's what I want. I don't want your presence just so I can feel good for a moment, knowing that actually I'm just going to keep going half-heartedly for you for the rest of the week. I'm just going to take my, I'm going to be the king of my own life for the rest of the week. But a heart of integrity, a pure heart, a heart without mixture, a heart that is wholly devoted, a clean heart, free from the sin of living for yourself. In Acts 3, verse 19 and 20, it gives us this same idea. It says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Times of refreshing come after turning from sin and towards God. Now, it's not to say that you need a perfect life to experience the presence of God, but a heart for God. A heart of integrity, a heart that is honest, honest before God, honest before yourself, honest before others. Not pretending and then hoping that, oh, maybe I'll experience the presence of God, whereas my heart's not really in it. A heart of integrity. Second one is this. I've got four, by the way, in case you're wondering how long is this going to go for. Four. This is number two singing and worship. Singing and worship, passionate worship through song. God loves this. It tells us in the Psalms that God inhabits the praise of his people. In Psalm 94, I mean, we could list verses till the cows come home um, on this point, but I'm just going to give you a couple. Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2 says, Come, let's shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. You know, when you read, um, if you read Revelation, if you've got the, the brain power for that, if you go and read Revelation, do you know what won't be happening in heaven? Do you know what won't be happening in heaven? And some of you are going to be really thankful for this. Preaching. <laughs> it doesn't say in Revelation that we're going to be standing around the throne listening to the best preachers of all time. Do you know what it will say we'll be doing? Singing, worship, giving glory to God. Sometimes we can treat worship and singing as sort of like the appetizer for the main meal, which is the, the meat of God's word. This bit. 
This is the appetizer. The meat is the worship. It's God's presence. It's God himself. Sometimes I think we just need to seek God more than we seek his truth, if that makes sense. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we don't seek his truth or we don't, I'm going to keep preaching, sorry. Um, But there's something about singing and worship that we were created for, we were designed for, that God has in store for us. So don't treat singing and worship as the warm-up or the add-on to the real thing. It is the real thing. God's presence and his glory in our life is the goal. Not hearing someone waffle on for an hour and a half or half an hour or however long it feels to you. Psalm 100, we've heard this verse already this morning. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. There is something about lifting our hearts and our voices and our hands. It moves past our head and into our heart. It's one thing to know something intellectually, but it's one thing to know something deeply as truth in your own life. And that's what singing and worship can do. It moves past our head and into our being and it invokes emotions and feelings. And some of us, especially Baptists, we're a bit scared of that. I don't want to invoke too many feelings and emotions. That can go down the road of manipulation, and it sure can. And that's a shame that it does, but it's not a reason to avoid it altogether. Do you know who created your emotions and your feelings? It wasn't the devil. It was God. He created them so that you might experience him through them. If you've heard me preach before, you know that I I have this idea that all of creation is designed to show us something of God. It's to help us see. You get that idea from Colossians 1. Everything is designed, not for its in its own purpose, for the purpose of understanding and experiencing and knowing God. In your heightened emotions, you make some of the biggest decisions of your life. Not without thought too, but if emotions don't come into it, you, the decisions aren't made. Who you marry. I mean, you think about this. If you are married and you've married someone before, it's not just because you've made some um, you know, good fact-finding about that person. There's some emotion involved that causes you to go, all right, let's do it. Let's make this decision. Or, or starting a career or buying a house or having children if you're able to or whatever it is, those decisions are fueled by emotion as well as understanding. So when we enter into the manifest presence of God and we experience God with our feelings and emotions as well, it it enables us to then step out in faith. And we're going to talk more about this next week, this idea of faith and courage being in the presence of God enables us to make some big decisions for God. That sometimes if it's just what we know, it's hard to then actually make that commitment. It activates the part to agree with what you already know in your head. I know I should love that person. I know I should forgive that person. I know I should 
be generous towards that person. I know I should serve there. I know I should do this. And then in that moment of the presence of God, it's like, I'm going to do it. It gives you the, the faith and the courage to step out in obedience because your heart is softened and changed in those moments. All right, anyone? Anyway, next, third, third, humility. Humility. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows not the haughty from a distance. Not haughty, haughty. That was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Sorry. He knows the haughty from a distance. The proud person doesn't think they need the presence of God. If you think to yourself, I don't need the presence of God, I would challenge you lovingly, as gently as I know how, that maybe there's some pride there in your own heart. You do need the presence of God. Without the presence of God, I mean everything falls apart. Your, I mean, your body is held together by the presence of God. Your heart is beating because of the presence of God. You need the presence of God more than the air that you breathe. The proud person doesn't think they need the presence, though. They don't see their sin as a problem or that they're missing out on anything. And pride repels the present, but humility attracts it. And humility is sometimes uh, misunderstood as having like this lesser view of yourself. You know, I'm, I'm just a worm, this type of thinking. It's not really what it, it's about. The Bible teaches us humility is thinking about yourself less, not having a lesser view of yourself. It's about not trusting your own ability, your own holiness, or thinking of your, yourself as able to lead your life like God can. It's having this idea of this posture of surrender ultimately surrendering your own desires and your own will. And if you want an idea of what real humility looks like, go read Philippians 2. Because Jesus showed us what humility is. It's giving up your life. Giving up your life for somebody else. And this is what humility is for us. It's giving up our life for his. Laying down our own agenda, desires, will. God is looking for the humble person who will give up their life to find it lay down their own agenda, goals and desires, and chase after what is on God's heart. And this can happen when we sing as well, especially when we sing. It takes humility sometimes to worship through song, especially when we don't like the song, or the singer, or the volume, or the style. And the point of singing and worship is not to please any of us. Sometimes I have this temptation just to bring in a, like a heavy rock band or a a rapper or a country musician or, you know, someone that everyone's just going to get... I'm joking. <laughs> someone that everyone's going to go, oh, no, that sounds terrible. Because it doesn't matter. The point is humility, that you would humble yourself and worship him anyway. So next time you're singing and you find yourself thinking about how good or bad or... Humble yourself and decide to worship anyway. Decide to praise anyway. Make God's glory your goal. Fourth, final, faith. Faith. 
Ephesians 3 verse 12 says, In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Finally, there in our part a need to come with faith and expectation that God might show up, that he might make himself known and that we would be aware of his presence. You know, I think as I was preparing this, I just had the, the picture of, and if you don't know the story, I'm, I apologize, but in the Old Testament, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, uh, you know this story, and the prophets of Baal, I think there's maybe 400 of them there, cutting themselves and dancing around this throne, trying to make fire fall down from heaven um, on this sacrifice. And Elijah is just like watching them and taunting them, like just this audacity and this faith that that's not going to work. What I'm going to do is going to work. And then he by himself has this sacrifice on the altar. He says, oh, I'll put some water on it, make it harder. And sure enough, he just, God and prays and fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice. Just think, what would happen if Elijah didn't have faith in that moment? He wouldn't even be in that situation, would he? He wouldn't have turned up. He would have gone home, run to the hills. There's a need for us to come with faith and expectation that God might do something. He might not, but he might. He might turn up in our life. For Paul and Silas in prison, in Acts, faith in God despite their dire circumstance, praising God, worshipping him, prison doors open. There's plenty of examples where this happens. And we don't worship, don't get me wrong, we don't worship to get something out of God, like make him do something for us. But rather we worship to make ourselves aware of his presence and how good it is and understand that transformation happens amongst his presence. We live by faith and not by sight. And sometimes our faith is just small. It's weak. It's embryonic. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, go and move yourself into the ocean, and it will. Because you need to understand it's not your faith that makes God turn up. It's God himself that does. He just wants you to believe for it. Trust him for it. So I want to encourage you, and the team can come up. We're going to sing now. I've asked this, this, the team to sing this new song with us this morning. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll sing this new song. Um, let's choose to be, and it doesn't happen just in song. Don't get me wrong. This is not just about these next five minutes. But let's choose to be in his presence and believe. Put ourselves in a position where we might get soaked if he does decide to turn up living with integrity, singing our praises, being humble, and having faith and expectation. I invite you to stand and we're going to pray together. And maybe this morning um, you have never, never been aware of God's presence and you just have this desire in your heart to, to be aware of His presence. I'd love you just to, with everyone, just with your eyes closed, maybe just to help you concentrate in this moment. To take that step of faith to, whether that's raising your hands or singing in a way that you haven't, on your knees. God, this morning we come humbly before you.
faith and expectation that we might be aware of your presence, of your goodness, your glory. God, I especially pray for people that have maybe felt like they've never experienced your presence before. And God, that in your goodness and your grace, you might show them your presence in their life. Whether that's in this moment now, whether that's at home later this afternoon, tomorrow morning, God. God, we want to echo David's prayer to be in your house all the days of our life. The one thing that we want to seek, God, is you and your presence. Give us a heart for you, God. Give us a heart of integrity. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to fill our lives afresh, fill this room. Help us to be aware of your presence. Surrender to you. sense just to wait just for a few more moments Maybe there's something this morning, I just get this word, this sense, something you need to confess. The idea of integrity without mixture. Holy Spirit wants to, to help you this morning live like that. Pure heart, one of integrity. Things that we keep hidden in the dark aren't healthy, aren't good for us. Bringing them out into God's light is freedom. And He wants freedom for you this morning. So I don't know what confession looks like for you. But I reckon it involves telling somebody. And that might be someone next to you. I'm happy for it to be me. If you want to tell me during this song, I'll be standing down the front and love to pray with you. Might mean writing it down. God's forgiven you anyway. Sin is paid for. But hiding things stops us, prevents us from coming to God wholeheartedly. It's what He wants for us. So, God, we pray for boldness, for faith, and courage. For anyone who feels they might need to confess something this morning, 
come into your life, into your freedom, into your forgiveness. Have times of refreshment in your presence. That's what we asked for this morning. Lord God, we we surrender these next moments to you and ask that you would do whatever you want to do. Pray this in Jesus' name.